0: Hi, Sanctuary. It's good to be back. (laughs) Like Adam said, uh, it's been about six years since I've been at Sanctuary, so it's really nice to see you guys, nice to see how it looks in the cafe building. Thanks for having me. Um, When Mark and Adam asked me to teach, I was trying to think about what was the most meaningful thing in my spiritual life that I could share with you guys. And the first thing that came to mind was actually prayer. But my next thought was, it's hard. (laughs) So I want to just do a show of hands here. Think about your uh, prayer life, your spiritual life. Who, show of hands, would say, I'm nailing my prayer life right now? Anybody? (laughs) Okay, I'm not alone. That's great. I also wanted us to feel like we are in good company. So I have a couple prayers that I found online of people who also are struggling. Uh, So here we go. Please, God, the first one's up there. Please, God, if you can't make me slim, make my friends fat. Okay. (laughs) Next one. Dear God, thanks for making me funny, especially since you didn't give me much else to work with third one, dear Lord, please don't let my husband be home when my online orders arrive. (laughs) And one more, Lord, grant me the serenity to accept stupid people the way they are, courage to maintain my self-control, and the wisdom to know that if I act on it, I will go to jail. I'm not exactly sure what the minion has to do with that, but whatever, he's there. Um, Now, these are, of course, funny examples, but they also demonstrate a deeper struggle that we have, um, which is prayer, and that it can be hard. And um, I'm hoping that as we dig in today into John 15, that all of us will learn together about the invitation that Jesus offers us um, as we continue to engage this prayer discipline that he's given to us. So let's jump right in, starting in verse 1 of chapter 15. And it will be done for you. This is to my Father's glory that you bear much fruit, showing yourselves to be my disciples. So, Jesus invites us to two types of prayer in this passage abiding prayer and asking prayer. And we're going to dig into both of these, but we're going to start with abiding prayer because that comes first in the passage. So, let's look back at verse four. It says, Remain in me as I also remain in you. This word remain is the same word as the word abide. So anytime you see that, just think about abiding. And then if we move to verse 5, if you remain in me and I in you, you will bear fruit. So what is abiding prayer? That's kind of a weird word. We don't use it that much. It simply means being with God. It's a relational aspect. It's drawing near drawing near to God, James 4:8 says, come near to God and he will come near to you. If you want to go deeper, this is an invitation. This is an invitation to step toward God and not wait for him to tell you something. This, this right here in this passage is the invitation. So we don't need to wait around for him to stir something in our hearts to move toward him. This is it. He's waiting for you. He's eager to be with you. A.W. Tozer, who is a theologian and author uh, in Christianity, says, It is disheartening to those who care, and surely a great grief to the Spirit, to see how many Christians are content to settle for less than the best. Personally, I have for years carried a burden of sorrow as I have moved among evangelical Christians who somewhere in their past have managed to strike a base compromise with their heart's holier longings. And have settled down to a lukewarm, mediocre kind of Christianity. Utterly unworthy of themselves and of the Lord they claim to serve. And such are found everywhere. Every man is as close to God as he wants to be. He is as holy and as full of the Spirit as he wills to be. Yet we must distinguish wanting from wishing. By want, I mean wholehearted desire. Certainly there are many who wish. They were holy or victorious or joyful, but are not willing to meet God's conditions to obtain. Ouch. (laughs) We have arranged our lives in such a way that demonstrates how near we actually want to be to God. We are as near as we want to be. That's pretty convicting. Abiding prayer is the chance to close the gap from where we want to be, and where we are. So first, abiding prayer is relational. Second, abiding prayer teaches us to listen more deeply to God rather than talking at him. I could say talking to him, but talking at him. Is, it's kind of a more visceral image. Um, we need to make space for God's voice in our lives. And abiding prayer is, is where we have space to do that. Think about your best friend. I'm going to use my best friend, Bethany, as an example. There should be a picture coming up here. Yeah, we've been best friends since I was a little before two years old, so it's been over 30 years. And uh, she just stayed at my house last week, so this is kind of fresh in my mind. The thing about our relationship is we can be with each other and just be. We can have moments where we are talking, moments where we are not, and it feels equally comfortable. We, when we are talking to each other, we are not asking things of each other. We are inviting each other into our lives, sharing what's going on, asking questions, but then listening, because we really have a desire to continue getting to know one, one another. Do you have friends like that? I'm sure you can think of somebody in your life that's like that. This is what we're after here. This is the best illustration I can think of on earth that kind of replicates what we're after with abiding prayer. In John 16, 3 to 14, Jesus says that if we decide to trust in Jesus as our Lord and Savior, that the Holy Spirit will indwell us. That same word, abide. When he, the Spirit of truth, comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak, and he will declare to you the things that are to come. You see, he wants to speak. He has things to say to us from God, the Father, and he indwells us. Are you making space? Are you making space to listen to what he might have to say So what should happen? If we're engaging in this regularly, what should this look like? If we're truly abiding, we should begin to see this radical change, this fruit that John talks about in John 15, verse 5. If you remain in me and I in you, you will bear much fruit. Apart from me, you can do nothing. I'm just going to give you a few examples of what that fruit might look like. You've probably seen it in a lot of different ways, but just to kind of get your minds rolling. The obsession with what I want, what I need, gets replaced by the obsession to know the mind of Christ and to do what pleases him. Idolatry is forsaken for God-centered worship. Anxiety, anger, apathy is replaced by the fruit of the spirit, which is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all of those words that you know from Galatians 5. Your feelings of emptiness, neediness, loneliness are resolved by God's overwhelming love for you. Unprocessed pain gets resolved by God's comfort we begin to see where we're going astray and we can course correct with repentance and sanctification. Like I said, this is just the beginning of a list of things that God does when we abide. And here's a little bit of freedom for you. If your routine with God is not producing fruit, stop doing it. (laughs) It's, It's not about the exact procedure that you're doing every day, every week, the point is that we're trying to be with Christ, it's relational, to become like him. And if we're not becoming like him, something's off. <laughs> we need to kind of recalibrate and figure out what it is that will make us more Christ-like because that's, that's what we're after here. Here are some common ways that Christians throughout history have practiced abiding if you're curious about digging into these more, you can. there's a book uh, called Celebration of Dis- Discipline by Richard Foster. Uh, I'll just go through them quickly. Uh, worship is the first one. Worship or delighting is a word that you can use uh, synonymously. Basically, it's to say there's no better place than to be with God. That can look a lot of different ways. That can look like the music that we just sang. That can look like laughter that can look like gratitude, that can look like enjoyment of the things that he has done for us, the people he has put in our lives. Meditation is another practice we can do, which is just to hold an aspect of who God is up to him to see him more clearly. It could be a Bible verse. It could be a quality of who he is. Silence. You extroverts just cringed. Introverts are like, yes, this is my jam. Uh, Basically, there are so few places in our lives that are truly silent. There are machines going all the time, you hear lights, you hear computers, you hear your washing machine, your car. It's not really that silent. So it really does take an effort, it is a discipline, to make space for silence. There's no way to have a listening spirit without some silence, lack of other competing noise. Solitude, often this is combined with silence. Uh, But it really, it's just about being alone, making sure that you're clearing out space to hear God's voice over the other voices that are in your life. This could be going on a hike by yourself. This could be journaling. This could be going on a silent retreat. That's kind of the extreme side. (laughs) Um, There are options there, but, but you get the idea. Study is just to engage in a biblical passage and bring it before God and see what he might be trying to teach you so you can understand him better. Fasting, to withhold a material appetite so that you can more greatly enjoy God instead of being attached to the things that he's provided. And then simplicity, kind of similar, uh, just to withhold a material possession. I don't know if we can use Marie Kondo as a verb, but Marie Kondoing your closet just to get out some of the stuff that just takes our eyes off of who Jesus is. Maybe it's packing your schedule less full, taking some things out. Abiding is not a one-and-done thing. It's a continual invitation to deepen our relationship with God, but it will produce fruit over time. Even if it takes a while, it will produce fruit that will become evident to us as we continue to pursue him. Now, let's go back to our passage in verse 7, and we will look at God's other invitation for us. If you remain, abide, In me, and my words abide in you. Ask whatever you wish, and it will be done for you. Asking prayer is probably the most common type of prayer that people think of when we talk about praying. In fact, the four examples I gave at the beginning were poor examples, but we're asking prayer. Um, While abiding prayer is kind of attending to the spiritual relationship with God, asking prayer is about getting a result. That seems pretty obvious. We're, we want something to happen that's not happening now. The John 15 passage is so clear about the fact that this is uh, results-oriented, but it, that it should never come without the first kind, the abiding prayer. This should be an ongoing cycle. Abide, produce fruit, ask. Abide, produce fruit, Ask. Put another way, asking prayer is guided by and guarded by abiding prayer. Abiding prayer must come first. Without abiding prayer, asking prayer feels a little bit like a vending machine. Like I'm treating God like he'll give me whatever I want, whenever I want. You know that friend that texts you and you see their name come across and it's like instant dread because you know they are only going to be asking you something? kind of like when Adam texted me about preaching. Um, it's that. We, we become like that if we don't abide first. We become that person that just asks without the investment of the relationship that's there. Abiding prayer keeps us praying in Jesus' name. Otherwise, how will we know what to ask for? If we don't give room for us to s- For him to speak to us and for him to shape us, then can we really even ask things that glorify him? I don't think so. If we're not careful and we ask too much without abiding, our prayers can subtly and dangerously shift toward asking God to do our will and to make our desires happen. Instead, What we should be after is recognizing that this rhythm will help us to engage God's power to do His will. There's a difference there. Jesus models this for us in John 14, one chapter before the passage that we've been focusing on. He's talking to His disciples, and they're wanting to know if Jesus is aligned with God. Good question. He says, The words I say to you, I do not speak on my own authority. But the Father who dwells in me does his work. Believe me that I am in the Father and the Father is in me. Or else believe on account of the works themselves. The works he was doing were representing who God was, which really demonstrated this abiding relationship that Jesus was so continuously engaging in. Now, at first, this is going to feel frustrating because we're going to be doing these disciplines And we're going to be hoping to see some fruit, but our desires won't be overlapping with God naturally. This takes some time. And I know we're not like a culture that loves patience and waiting. We are kind of an immediacy-driven culture. But as we continue to abide and become more like Christ, our wants will become closer and closer to God's to the point that we will actually be thrilled that God gave us the gifts that he gave us and the wisdom to accomplish his desires instead of the ones that we came in with at the beginning. When we know it's his will, as comes with time, it's so much easier to be persistent in our prayers too because we know that his promises never fail. And if we know that, We can continue to ask because we can just wait until it comes to pass because we know it's true. So if asking prayer is wanting to obtain a spiritual result, let's talk about the effect that that has on us. Asking prayer invites Jesus' followers to attain new possibilities, things beyond what they had hoped for. James 4, 2 and 3 says, you do not have because you do not ask God. You ask and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your passions. Matthew 21, Jesus says, if you believe, you will receive whatever you ask for in prayer. That's a lot of permission. That's a big, big space to ask for things that aren't currently here. So I wanna challenge you, what don't you have because you are not asking? Or what are you protesting (laughs) and not asking for out of defiance? Is it wisdom? Is it for discernment? Is it the ability to love somebody who's hard to love? Do you not have that because you're not asking? You don't want to ask? Is it for God's intervention on behalf of somebody else? These prayers can be for our own lives. These prayers can be for other people. But I challenge you, just think through that. Bring that to him. Ask that question. In addition to that, asking prayer also invites us to live beyond our capacity as we are now. God has given us visions that are bigger than we can see now, bigger than we can accomplish now. He's put people outside of our reach as we are right now. He's put obstacles in our lives that are really impossible for us to get through without him. But asking prayer is how we accomplish these things. If we pray and ask according to his will, we can experience God more deeply and become like him in our asking and accomplish things with our lives that we wouldn't have even been able to dream about before we abided. So that's on a high level. Let's take it down a few notches. What's the how-to? How can we start doing this better than we have been? Tim Keller, who's a pastor in New York, uh, he says this, We would never produce the full range of biblical prayer if we were initiating prayer according to our own inner needs and psychology. It can only be produced if we are responding in prayer according to who God is as revealed in the Scripture. Some prayers in the Bible are like an intimate conversation with a friend. Others like an appeal to a great monarch. And others approximate a wrestling match. We must not decide how to pray based on what types of prayer are the most effective for producing the experiences and feelings we want. We pray in response to God himself. If you want to start fresh with asking prayer, I would recommend looking at God's promises that are in scripture and praying them back to him. As I said before, his promises never fail, which is why it's a good place to start. (laughs) Uh, These can either be applied, like I said, to yourself or to those in your spheres of influence. Here's just a small sampling of some of those promises to get, get you kind of excited about how to potentially reframe these towards God. This is from Isaiah 40, verse 31. Those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength, they will run and not grow weary they will walk and not be faint. Isaiah 43, verse 2, when you pass through the waters, I will be with you, and when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze. James 1.5, if any of you lacks wisdom, you should ask God, who gives generously to all without finding fault, and it will be given to you. First John 1.9, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. Jeremiah 29, for I know the plans I have for you, plans to prosper you and not to harm you, plans to give you hope and a future. Malachi 3.10, bring the whole tithe into the storehouse, that there may be food in my house. Test me in this and see if I will not throw open the floodgates of heaven and pour out so much blessing that there will be not enough room to store it. And last, Romans 8, 28, We know that in all things God works for the good of those who love him, who are called according to his purpose. This is just a few. The Bible is full of promises. It's a good starting point. There are a lot of ways that we can learn to pray back to God the promises that he's already given to us. You can take each of these promises, each of these verses, and turn them back to say, Lord, when you say that those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength and not grow weary, Lord, I need you to help me not grow weary. That's what it can look like. It can be as simple as that. Lord, you say I will not be faint. I'm feeling faint. I need you to rejuvenate me. It's a great place to start. The words are right there. Now, because asking prayer is rooted in abiding prayer, which is a relational experience. We also have to take a look at what the person, the other person in this relationship, God is saying about answering. So here's a collection of verses from the New Testament that shows God's promises around asking prayer. John 14:13, I will do whatever you ask in my name so that the Father may be glorified in the son. I chose you and appointed you so that you might go and bear fruit, fruit that will last, and so that whatever you ask in my name, the Father will give you. My Father will give you what you ask in my name. Until now, you have not asked for anything in my name. Ask and you will receive, and your joy will be made complete. If we ask anything according to his will, he hears us. Again, you guys, these verses are all over the place. Ask and it will be given to you. Seek and you will find. Knock and the door will be opened to you. So at this point, you might be thinking, this sounds great. Our God really likes to answer prayer. He really wants us to ask. But I know that many of you have asked and felt disappointed. I felt that way too. I want to say personally, I know how frustrating that is. I know how discouraging that can be. So let's talk about that for a minute. God answers prayer according to his sovereign will, not our desire or our plan, which can be really heart-wrenching. That means sometimes he answers later than we hope. It's not our timeline. Sometimes he answers in an unexpected way that's really hard to detect, which can be frustrating. Sometimes the answer is no, or maybe not yet. And just a caution around that one, we don't always know which is which. So, we don't know if it's a no or a not yet, so we need to be persistent in our prayers until we actually have the final answer, until we can discern. In Luke 18:1, Jesus tells his disciples to pray and never give up, which is hard to hear after you've been disappointed. I know that you've prayed for things. You've prayed for marriages in your family to be restored. You've prayed for friendships to be healed. You've prayed for people to be healed of physical illnesses. You've prayed for a job opportunity. You've prayed for a spouse, maybe. You've prayed something that feels audacious and and it feels disappointing when God doesn't answer it the way that you hoped. So how can we keep praying in the face of those disappointments? I think it's important to To look at that, I want to share a story with you about Jesus's friends who were disappointed with him because he didn't answer their cry for help to their brother. In John chapter 11, I'll start in verse 1. Now a man named Lazarus was sick. He was from Bethany, the village of Mary and her sister Martha. This Mary, whose brother Lazarus now lay sick, was the same one who poured perfume on the Lord, wiped his feet with her hair. This is an intimate relationship here. So the sisters sent word to Jesus, Lord, the one that you love is sick. When he heard this, Jesus said, The sickness will not end in death. No, it is for God's glory so that God's son may be glorified through it. They didn't know this yet. Now Jesus loved Martha and her sister and Lazarus. So when he heard that Lazarus was sick, he stayed where he was two more days. How frustrating. (laughs) And then he said to his disciples, now let's go back. The passage goes on to tell us that Lazarus dies before Jesus gets back to their town. So if we skip ahead to verse 20, when Martha heard that Jesus was coming, she went out to meet him, but Mary stayed home. We'll come back to that. Lord, Martha said to Jesus, if you had been here my brother would not have died. But I know that even now, God will give you whatever you ask. Martha's wrestling with this disappointment and the trustworthiness of who she thought was the Savior. If you had been here, my brother would not have died. In other words, Jesus, you could have prevented this, but you didn't. Jesus responds, for your sake, for your sake, I am glad I was not there so that you may believe. What if he's two days late because death is not an obstacle for him? And waiting brings more glory to God. That's hard. But it's what's good. You see, it wasn't what Martha wanted, but it was what God wanted and what God had planned. Now let's look at the other sister. Mary was so disappointed that she couldn't even face Jesus. She stayed home. <clears throat> I'm sure that you can relate to this. You've had a frustration. You felt disappointed. You don't want to come to church. You don't want to be around anybody who's going to say, oh, I'll pray for you. It just feels so annoying. <laughs> you just can't tolerate it. So when she finally does see Jesus, she actually says the same thing as Martha. She says, Lord, if you had been here, my brother would not have died. But when Jesus saw her weeping and the Jews who had come along with her also weeping, he was deeply moved and troubled. Where have you laid him? He asked. Come and see, Lord, they replied. Jesus wept. His response to Mary was different. Same issue, different response. He saw that instead of an answer, she needed compassion. She needed companionship in her sorrow. So he weeps and he wails on behalf of his friend. See how he loved him. That's what they said, because he wept. 1 Corinthians 13.12 says, For we see only a reflection as in a mirror. Then, when we're with him in eternity, we will see face-to-face. We see what we think an answer should be, and Mary and Martha said that that was, Jesus should have come right when they said to come heal their brother. But we lack, and they lacked, the clarity of God to fully understand his kingdom and his plan and the healing that Jesus would do eventually in raising Lazarus from from the dead and... Sometimes, we're going to feel stuck in those two days before the healing actually happens. We're going to feel stuck in the place where, Jesus, why didn't you come? Jesus, why did you let him die? You could have stopped this. And when that happens, we need to remember the resurrection. The real reason that Jesus came, which was to save us from eternal death and to bring freedom to us from sin, to awaken us to new life with him, abide with. If Jesus was just a teacher or a spiritual leader, if he's just somebody who gives us everything we want, then he really doesn't offer much hope. Tim Keller again says, Jesus' prayers were given the rejection that we sinners merit, so that our prayers could have the reception that he merits. Put another way, Jesus' asking prayers to God that he would receive a path other than death were rejected because of our sin, so that our prayers, when we ask, when we abide, that our prayers would be received with the merit that Jesus' deserved. Now, sometimes we don't fully understand it, but what a glorious promise we have. Jesus' life and death paved the way for our prayers to be brought to a loving Father who is sovereign and good. So I want to ask you one final question, and this one might... Feel tender, might feel hard to process, but I think it's really important for us. What is the asking prayer that is buried so deep in your heart because of a disappointment that you don't want to pray it? What's the prayer that you don't want to bring anymore? Either you've gotten tired of it or you don't trust God from another prayer what is the prayer that you don't believe he'll answer? I would encourage you to take that prayer and offer it to him. No matter how tattered it feels at this point, And just see what he might do with it. You don't have to pray it yet. I'm not saying that. Just offer it. Offer it to him. Say where you are with it. Be honest about the level of faith that you have around it. He can handle it. And then pray that one day you'll be able to pray it again to him. Or pray it for the first time. This is the place where the abiding and the asking come together. We lay it out like this, and then we listen We engage in relationship. We step toward. And then we can ask. I know it's going to be hard, but that's the place where that prayer invitation comes to full life is in those hard prayers that we have. I'm already so expectant that God will meet you in these tender places if you let him. Let's pray together. Jesus, thank you for this great invitation to engage with you in relationship, to engage with you in asking. God, it's hard to imagine that you would even invite us to ask something of you, the most sovereign, the most high God. But you've made space. You've welcomed us in. Lord, may each of us transform our life of prayer to step towards you, to invite you in, especially around those really hard prayers, around our disappointment. May part of that relationship be restored tonight, be restored this week as we think about it and bring it to you. We know this is a big ask, but you're a big God a big, sovereign, good God. And we love you. It's in your name we pray. Amen.